This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 50, looking this evening at verses 1 through 10, but some selected passages as well. With this study tonight, we close our time in Jeremiah, bring that to a close. Uh, We are moving to chapter 50, in between uh, where we last studied, um, are judgments on various nations uh, that that Jeremiah addresses in his day, a similar section to that that we find in the first half of Jeremiah, where he, or sorry, Isaiah, where he uh, addresses God's word to various nations uh, around them. Jeremiah does something similar here, uh, oracles that were given to him. These occur much earlier, even though they're at the end of the book. Uh, they actually were given um, sometime earlier, a couple of decades earlier at least, than the passages we looked at last time. Uh, they are significant uh, in their beginning and their end. They begin in chapter 46 with Egypt. Of course, uh, we've been here recently or familiar with Jeremiah. You know that Egypt is the the, the land to which that group of refugees fled, uh, despite the word of the Lord not to do that, they went to Egypt, um, symbolically indicating their return and their fleeing from the Lord. They return back to slavery, and God's giving them over to their sin. And even though they sought Egypt as a safe place, they're not safe from the eyes of the Lord, or in this case, the uh, expressions of his displeasure in his judgment on them and on Egypt. And then various nations that uh, whose, whose names, if you know the Bible, you'd be familiar with. And then in chapter 50, the last nation addressed is that of Babylon uh, before a closing chapter that actually is not ascribed to Jeremiah. His words are said to end at the end of chapter 51. And there's sort of a recap with 52. But what we want to do tonight is look at this judgment on Babylon, we won't look at chapter 50 and 51 in their entirety. If you read them, you'll notice these chapters are very long. In fact, uh, the two chapters against Babylon are almost as long as all the others put together. About 110 verses here in these two chapters and 121 in the other judgment oracles against the nation's uh, put up next to this. So it's almost as long as all the others combined. And that is, as I hope to show, is significant for a number of reasons. I've named this Jeremiah's greatest prophecy, and I want to talk some about that and why I say that and why I think this is. But first, let's read our home text tonight, Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 1 through 10, and pray, and we will begin. Pay attention to the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 50, beginning in verse 1. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not and say, 
Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. In those days, and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. and Their enemies have said, We're not guilty. They've sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I'm stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country. They shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give thanks to you for your word. And in this late hour of the day, we pray for your grace to have alert minds and uh, to be able to think about your word together this evening and to profit by that study of the scriptures. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've seen, Jeremiah has delivered a lot of different prophecies over a long ministry in different circumstances. First, warning of the need to repent of sin and turn back to the Lord, lest they be judged as the Lord brings an enemy against them. And then as that became inevitable, as the Lord had determined to do that, then calling on Jerusalem and Judah to submit to the will of the Lord by surrendering to the Babylonians, uh, acquiescing to their fate, so to speak, in the Lord's judgment. Uh, They didn't do that, and they see uh, Babylon take control and deport many of the leaders, much of the population, to Babylon. Others are left in the land to work the land. And Jeremiah says those who are in exile are better than those who remain and hold out. And finally, the breach of the wall, the destruction of the city, all of this, the siege and eventual destruction causing uh, untold suffering and anguish. And then finally, the group uh, that, that we saw last time that holds out to the end, that goes to Egypt and despite Jeremiah's pleading with them there, just flat out rejects their covenant with the Lord and pledge themselves to the queen of heaven and just descend back into rank paganism. All of these things, a long mystery, a lot of different kind of messages. How can you say which of his messages is the greatest? What is his greatest prophecy? Well, I think as you look at these words that we've read, and and many here that we haven't, these final chapters, in many ways, I think, make up Jeremiah's greatest prophecy. I say this because of what they talk about, and not just what they talk about, and not just that this is such a long 
section. But the, the, the scope that they cover, not just having to do with what was going on with Jeremiah in his own day, uh, but things that went on far before his day, things that will occur not only far beyond his day, but at this point beyond our day. And so it's this prophecy that does come toward the end of the book, but is actually an earlier prophecy in his ministry, uh, was placed here, I think, uh, even though it came earlier, because it is such a grand prophecy and because it has so much significance for all of Scripture, that it ser- serves kind of the, the final consummation of the book. It ends on this note with this prophecy concerning Babylon. I think it was placed at the end of the book precisely because it is such a grand, such a great prophecy. What does it prophesy? Well, we read verses 1 through 10, which sort of serve as the theme of which the rest of these chapters 50 and 51 are an elaboration, kind of the core, the nugget there that the rest of it expounds upon. And the first thing that we notice here is that it does prophesy the destruction of Babylon. We see this in the first three verses, and then again in verses 9 and 10. The word of the Lord concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah. And you have this this declaration uh, to proclaim the downfall of Babylon. Babylon is taken, uh, and her pagan deities are derided. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. Uh, a declaration of Babylon's defeat, its downfall, uh, its, its downfall, the dismaying of its gods. Now, hasn't happened yet, but Jeremiah says that it is going to happen. And how it's going to happen? Verse three: Out of the north, a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation. None shall dwell in it, both man and beast shall flee away. Uh, reference ultimately to the Persian uh, conquest, the Persian ascendancy that would take place. It is striking, if you've been paying attention, to note the parallel uh, there that is given with what uh, was given in chapter 1 of Jeremiah of the announcement of the Lord's judgment on Jerusalem and on Judah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 13, the word of the Lord comes and says, What do you see? I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Here's a prophecy of a uh, of judgment coming in the form of a nation coming out of the north. Only this time, the the judgment is not directed at Judah, not directed at Jerusalem, but it is directed at Babylon. Now, the Lord sometimes judges his own instrument, uh, his own nation that he may use to judge another. You know, this, this was Habakkuk's difficulty. How can the Lord use a wicked nation like the Chaldeans to judge Judah? Take one nation to judge another, one wicked nation. They also know that Israel's conquest of the promised land itself was a judgment on those pagan nations, the Canaanites who lived in that land. Well, the Lord is going to bring Babylon, not because they are righteous, uh, but they're they're a very vile, pagan, unbelieving nation outside God's covenant. But the Lord is going to bring judgment on them in part for their arrogance and pride in their destruction of Jerusalem. Just to go a little ahead, look at verse 11. 
Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture. I'm afraid that's an image that's somewhat lost on me, though I can imagine it. Didn't have the advantage of growing up down on the farm. Though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed, and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Verse 13, because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited but shall be in utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. You'll recognize some of the same kinds of imagery and, and description of astonishment at the judgment of the Lord that he used in talking about the judgment of Jerusalem. Now here he used to describe the judgment of Babylon in part because of her gloating over her conquest of Jerusalem. Mystery of the Lord, he uses them, they're his instrument, and yet he holds them accountable for, for their attitude of, of, of delight and their destructiveness and, and the misery that they bring about and their, their pride in themselves, their delight in themselves. And so the Lord is bringing punishment on them for that. They were his own instrument, yes. God can use a sinful, wicked instrument to accomplish his good and holy purposes. And that's exactly what he does. And yet, she is to be judged for her own sins. And Jeremiah is pointing that out here. Another thing that qualifies this as a grand prophecy is that of prophecy of the restoration of Judah. Not a whole lot of that in Jeremiah, as we've seen. There is a great deal of judgment, a great deal of judgment, not so much restoration, although we do do catch glimpses of that. Again, this is somewhat in proportion to that reflected in the beginning of the book, uh, in, in Jeremiah's own call, in chapter 1, verse 10. The Lord says, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, to build and to plant. About one-third good news, two-thirds bad news. And the proportion in the book actually is much more dominant toward the bad news. But there was good news. Well, here in this passage, we have good news. Uh, yes, she was judged for her sins. And in, in verses 9 and 10, also speaking of the destruction of, uh, of Babylon, stirring up against Babylon and gathering of great nations from the north country, but then the restoration of Judah. Look at verse 4. Judah was judged for her sins, yes, but she's still the Lord's people. He has not completely given them over, abandoned them. Verse 4, in those days and in that time declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come. They shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Will never be forgotten. A new resolve. One interesting uh, expression of the reunion of Judah and Israel coming together. That didn't actually happen in their return. It was Judah coming back out of Babylon under Ezra and Nehemiah in those days, Zerubbabel. Uh, pointing to something greater, I think, uh, the totality of God's people. Certainly, the church is a fulfillment, the fulfillment of, of what is expressed here. But there is a repentant attitude, a commitment to the Lord. Let's join ourselves to the Lord in the everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. And then in verses 6 and 7, uh, an eye toward the um, failure 
of the shepherds, the leaders they had. My people have been lost sheep. The shepherds led them astray. Uh, they've been a prey for predators. They've forgotten their fold. They've been devoured. And their enemies have said, well, you know, we're not guilty because they sinned against the Lord. Hope of their fathers. And so he says in verse 8, flee from the midst of Babylon. Go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. And the goats, the he goats tending to be the leaders, tending the ones to lead the way. And that's what's happening. And so the Lord is leading his people out. This is pointing toward that uh, return, coming back to the land out of Babylon, which happened after an exile some 70 years. But that in and of itself is not what makes this such a great prophecy. What makes this such a great prophecy is that it is dealing with the salvation of the Lord's people, but it is also dealing with the judgment of his enemies in a way that spans pretty much to, from the beginning of the Bible to the end. All the way going back to the, the rebellion and pride expressed in the Tower of Babel. And by the way, our English Bibles read Babylon. Hebrew reads Babel. Uh, from that kind of effrontery, that kind of presumption before the Lord. A story, uh, an account you're well familiar with in in, uh, in Genesis uh, 11, the, the building of the Tower of Babel, man raising himself up against God. God's frustrating that by confusing their languages. To all the way to the end of the Bible, and I want I want to just read a few passages from, from Jeremiah 50:51, and then I want us to move to the Book of Revelation, because as you read the culmination of things in the Book of Revelation. It's amazing how much of it is drawn from these prophecies here at the end of Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 50. Just going to skip around, read a few verses here. Verse 15, Jeremiah 50, 15. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her bulwarks have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. It's talking about Babylon. For this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. Do to her as she has Done. Skipping down to verse 29. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow. Encamp around her. Let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds. Do to her according to all that she has done, for she has proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 34. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. And then turning over to chapter 51, verse 9. 51, verse 9. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us go each to his own country, for her judgment has reached up to heaven and has been lifted up even to the skies. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. And then verse 24, 51, 24, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. And then finally, 51, verse 49. Start in 48. 
Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. Now I want you to turn to the back of your Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. References to Babylon actually occur earlier than this, chapter 14, but predominance of it is in, in, in Revelation chapter 18. You see, the grandness isn't just that Jeremiah prophesies the downfall of a nation that existed uh, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now you think it's so irrelevant to us today. The greatness of Jeremiah's prophecy is he prophesies the ultimate salvation of God's people and particularly the ultimate destruction of all that is evil in the world. From the Tower of Babel to Babylon and its pride to Revelation, Babylon. Babel is, is, is a symbol of man's pride, of his opposition to God, of his desire to be God and of evil in the world. And so it is a symbol of God's judgment on this world and its rebellion against God in its opposition not only to Him, but to His people. And so in Revelation 18, we read these words, beginning in verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins. Uh, This is following, of course, the first four verses. Verse 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, become a dwelling place for demons, and so forth. And this is, again, with reference to Babylon. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Listen to the echoes from those verses we read in Jeremiah. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Let's skip down to verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, will be found no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. Craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. If you're familiar with Jeremiah, this language, even if it's not direct, the type of language, the announcing of judgment should sound very familiar craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. 
Jeremiah's greatness comes not only in prophesying the downfall of a great empire on earth, but in the downfall of the great empire that is fallen humanity in its rebellion against the Lord. And it's striking that you have to end Jeremiah by reading Revelation. Because Jeremiah, perhaps unwittingly, was pointing to something far greater than himself. But not just the judgment of God's enemies. He was pointing forward along with that to the great salvation of the Lord's covenant people. And we end our study of Jeremiah with Revelation 19, 1 through 5. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be among those who praise you, who fear you, who delight in your victories, who delight in the downfall of your enemies. Father, we thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for his faithfulness, his willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. And we pray, Father, that would be true of us as well. We pray that we would see your salvation in our lives, in our day. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.